This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 4th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Oxfam combines effective charity work with vulgar but often effective marketing campaigns. Their new report is called Inequality Kills. Cato's Joan Norberg says the report is a misnomer, should be called Poverty Kills. He points out that free markets are one of the greatest poverty-alleviating programs in the history of humanity. We spoke last month. It feels like I have this conversation pretty regularly. Um, but plane lands safely isn't a headline. And by the same token, hundreds of millions of people removed from grinding poverty decade after decade doesn't really earn a headline. And yet it's worth noting uh, regularly that this is the kind of progress that humanity is making. Yes, we have to take account of where we are and how far we've come because it doesn't happen automatically. We've just been through 40 years of the greatest poverty reduction in human history. Extreme poverty has been reduced from around 36% of the world population to 9% today. And it's it's more than 100,000 people a day who've been lifted out of extreme poverty. And that doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by itself. It's dependent on certain institutions. It's dependent on a particular world economy, an open world economy. And if we don't understand that, we will, well, first of all, uh, we'll be at risk of, of losing some of that progress, um, but we'll also make it more difficult to make it happen in more places because now we know what it takes. It takes rule of law, property rights, free trade. Wherever you've experimented with that in East Asia, Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, we've seen remarkable results and we have to keep that in mind and talk about it. So tell me about what Oxfam says. Yeah, Oxfam is this um, British charity that combines um, often important charity work around the world with fairly vulgar but also effective campaigns against free markets and, and rich people. And they really doubled down on their anti-market rhetoric uh, recently, really turned the rhetoric up to, to 11. And I think one of the reasons is that they've been, they've had a hard time in their charity work. Uh, they've been involved in several scandals. They've been cut off from um, the UK Charity Commission because of a culture of poor behavior, sexual abuse, and so on. So that leaves them with this these campaigns, these uh, reports about the problems of free markets. And recently they published a report called uh, Inequality Kills. And it's not really about how inequality kills, it's about how poverty kills. In places where people are desperately poor, uh, we have more human suffering. Uh, but they lamp it all together as inequality and basically blame it all on what they call neoliberalism. So they look at poverty around the world, even in the most statist and protectionist countries, and even racism and female genital mutilation, all those problems are lumped into uh, one particular problem, inequality. And then they blame it on neoliberalism and particularly the rich, the billionaires, who are somehow to blame for, for all of this. And they do this regularly. They try to come up with inventive um, examples every year of how rich the world's billionaires are compared to the world's poorest. Um, but this time around, they've really picked at free markets and an open world economy. This is a conversation that has been ongoing and it seems to go in circles which is uh, people say that inequality 
in and of itself is a problem. And you or I might say, well, inequality itself is not a problem. People unable to make ends meet on planet Earth, people unable to feed their families, people unable to make substantial decisions on their own uh, and take advantage of, of the bounty that this planet has to offer, uh, that's a problem. And that's a problem that has we've been solving for decades. And that's what we're seeing in the data as well. When you look at data on literacy, on child mortality, on access to health services and education and so on, it's not about the inequality of the place. It's about wealth. It's whether people have a chance to participate in the economy, to work, to start businesses and to become more wealthy. That's what's interesting, not how rich somebody else is somewhere else. But the interesting thing that Oxfam doesn't take into account is that even if you worried about inequality rather than poverty, uh, then you should actually be a bit cheerful about the past 20 years around the world because the global income Gini coefficient, this way of measuring income inequality around the world, has been declining for the first time probably since the Industrial Revolution uh, by some 15%. And even the data that Oxfam uses, it's the Credit Suisse Wealth Report points out that um, whether you measure the richest tenth in the world or the richest one percent in the world, their share has been declining. So that's why they are cherry picking. They just look at Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and the people who happen to be the most fabulously wealthy right this very moment and then come up with a couple of examples of calculations to show how incredibly wealthy they are compared to others. But the new thing that has happened in the world is that there's a large global middle class being created around the world because countries have been integrated into the global economy. Yeah, cause, but, but I hear this attitude, this expressed, that is inequality is bad uh, in a sense because there are some number of extremely rich people. And it's almost as if they believe that getting rid of the very rich people like Bezos or Musk or uh, any any number of other people, that that somehow is going to improve the lot in life for the average person. And that is the biggest problem here is that Oxfam doesn't take into account how you became rich. Obviously, there are billionaires in countries like uh, Russia, for example, uh, in Ukraine, for example, oligarchs who have protected monopolies and completely depend on corporate welfare. And we do have examples of that in the Western world as well. I, I did an entire documentary called Corporate Welfare, Where's the Outrage? About the subsidies and the tariffs that make some people rich. And sometimes people also become rich um, in a passive way because of quantitative easing and negative real interest rates that just increase the um, asset prices uh, around the world. And that might not contribute much. But if you look at the Forbes list of the biggest, uh, the wealthiest uh, people around the world, the billionaires, a record more than 70% are self-made. And the ones who have entered the list now recently, it's not the old, um, it's not the inherited uh, wealth on the list. It's the innovators. It's the investors. It's people like Ugur Sahin, who suddenly has a fortune of $6 billion because he uh, invented the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine in Sweden. The man who became, uh, increased his wealth the most in this past year is um, owning a company producing ventilators for hospitals all around the world. 
So you have to think about where wealth comes from. If you become wealthy on a free market, my people voluntarily handing you their money in exchange for something that they think is more valuable, well, then you have contributed to people's wealth. You've contributed to their their possibilities. William Nordhaus, the Nobel laureate, uh, made some models trying to estimate how much of the innovation, how much of the wealth that the uh, biggest disruptive innovators uh, create, do they capture themselves? And it might be around 2%, it might even be 5%, but that still means that some 95% of that wealth is being captured by us. Capitalism is an amazing deal for us who, who just eat pizza and watch Netflix, because those who take risks, invest in the future, Many of them fail, a few succeed. And if they do, they get to capture some 2 to 5% of that wealth. So there is nothing that contributes to increasing our opportunities, our access to technology, goods and services, and increase our purchasing power as rich people. And that's why we can see that in the Oxfam and the Credit Suisse lists as well. When they complain about all the billionaires in Sweden and the United States, well, isn't it more interesting to think about the countries where you don't have that many billionaires? And where is that? Well, in Europe, it's the Balkan states. In uh, America, it's the poorest Latin American states. And it's sub-Saharan African countries. In other words, the way to build rich societies is at least a part of the secret is to make sure that people who have a great idea and are willing to risk it all to make it come true, that they are able to become billionaires if they succeed. Joanne Norberg is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.